Hey, welcome to the 124th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Adam Lowe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Jessica Sanders on. Jessica is a director that has worked in every field of film. She is Oscar-nominated. She's had two films at Sundance. She started in the doc world and then had like a giant career as a commercial director. Steve Jobs single-handedly chose her to direct uh, one of the first iPad commercials. And now she's moving into a narrative film. She's prepping to do her first feature. She just had a short at Sundance. And now we're talking about what life is like when you're reinventing yourself. Yeah, if you've ever thought about pivoting or changing your voice or just reassessing who you are as an artist, Jessica has a lot of really great pointers and has gone through it many times and is going through it again. So if you've ever thought about redefining your voice, uh, stay tuned. Yeah. But before we talk to Jessica, we are going to read some iTunes reviews. Ooh, I love iTunes reviews. Yeah, these are good because there's one, there's a couple that are, I mean, they're all great five-star reviews. I think your dream came true, Or My dream came true. I always say that if you get a negative comment, it means you're reaching people you don't know. So I think we reached that. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, Hit me, what you got? Our first comment is from Raquel Alethea. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the name. Raquel says, recently found this podcast and I really enjoy the guy's POV, though I do take issue with Oren continuing to say that LA actors are better. Coming from an actor with very few film opportunities in and around my city and unable to uproot my family, I think local hires deserve a fair shot too. Still really entertaining and informative behind the scenes show. You on blast. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I thought it was kind of a shared point of view that Matt and I had, but I guess it's just me. Um, well, I, I think you, you've had more gripes recently. I think. Is, yeah, is I guess down to. in response to Raquel, I appreciate your comment and you are 1000% right. Uh, I might have said this. I did not mean that L.A. actors are better. I what I was focusing on is that the pool of amazing actors in L.A. is bigger than in other places. At times, I think that might be advantageous if you are in Houston, let's say, and you are like one of the top 10 best actors in Houston, you are probably more likely to book a role than if you move to LA, you know, but, um, you know, there's just so many unknowns when you are making commercials, making film, making things uh, that... When you have to cast a lot of roles and you're looking for specific types, it's sometimes important to have more than one or two or even 10 choices. And so the places where actors tend to congregate, New York, L.A., Chicago to some degree, um, those are the places where, just statistically speaking, there's a larger mind to go from. So that's not a, a accusation about quality relative to each group. There's great actors all over the world. Right. Um, this Comcast job I just did, we had to cast 17 people, and we want 17 great actors. So we have to see like 100 actors. And of specific types. Too, yeah, they're all know. very specific ages and looks and types and everything. And so, yeah, th- that all said, I told Matt this earlier, but I had a Lyft driver the other day that was an actor from Portland, Oregon. He had been acting in Portland for 20 years and he just moved here because he said all these L.A. film crews would come up there and shoot Portlandia and all the other shows that shoot up there. And they would only want to bring up L.A. people and they weren't super respectful or nice to the local film community or the local acting community. I mean, that's shitty, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm sorry that that happens. I know it does happen, and I know I'm part of the problem. Just being super selfish 
it's one thing that maybe I don't invest a lot of time in learning about mm-hmm. film communities in other places How that I don't live other places, because yeah. I'm stretched so thin trying to shoot 10 commercials in three days at 17 locations with, you know, limited resources that whatever is a known quantity, whether it's an actor person, like a, a cast person or a crew person that I've worked with a ton before, usually in LA, then, I'll, then that's helpful. But Carlin, who is, uh, you know, a frequent guest on the show, She's shooting now something in Austin with our friends. And one of the reasons I think they loved her for the job is because she already has like all this crew and cast connections in Austin. She's got the the hometown connections. Yeah. So there's something helpful about being like from a different city, moving to LA and then getting a job back in that city and being able to bring film back there. You're your own own fixer. Yes. Uh, So thank you for the comment, Raquel. Uh, I apologize. So Jesslyn Amerling says, I've been listening to this podcast while I prep for film school this fall. Matt and Orrin make the film industry and its lingo super accessible for people looking in from the outside. They interview interesting guests who bring in their perspectives as well. Writers, directors, actors, etc. I would highly recommend it to anyone looking to break into the industry or still in the beginning of their career. However, at some point you have to take a break from listening and just shoot it. Mm-hmm. Another comment that's like, hey, stop listening. Start doing. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Jesslyn. No, you're totally right. Go I mean, do it. Yeah. Matt and I need to take that advice. Stop yeah. making this podcast. Yeah, boy. And make some movies. What are we doing? See you later. <laughs> oh, Matt just left. Okay, two more. Alex Grice says, it's amazing for filmmakers. I'd consider myself a filmmaking podcast aficionado, and this one is the best by far. Matt and Oren offer up so much useful information on both the craft and business sides with killer guests. Highly recommended. Thanks, Alex. I don't know if we are the best, but I do think we... Uh, occupy a niche part of the filmmaking podcast. Uh, We were talking about this today. That is, it's about people that are breaking into film now, as opposed to people that broke into film 10 years ago or people that are still trying to break in. So hopefully it's useful because it's in real time. Yeah. yeah, There's some models of people that you can follow. I will admit, I think we're like our guests. uh, It's been a real treat in interviewing the guests we've had on recently. So, yeah, all our original guests are just garbage. Oh, boy. <laughs> God. Ugh. Just kidding. All of our dear friends um, and also talented. Okay, final iTunes review from Lev M 90 Great podcast for anyone looking to work in film. This has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts on film, up there with Script Notes and the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, mm. which is pretty awesome. I didn't know Brett Easton Ellis had a podcast. Yeah, I didn't either. I tune in every week for the great insights from Oren and Matt, both working directors and their guests who come from various backgrounds, DPs, execs, actors, and more. Well worth the subscribe. Hey, thank you so much. Well, guys, that was um, really flattering, really fun. Uh, keep them coming. It really it does genuinely help the show grow. I think that iTunes recommendations and uh, ratings are the number one driver of whether or not you get algorithmically spiked, we'll say. Thank you all so much for your support and help. It's really incredible. Another way you can support the show is by contributing to our Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash justshootitpod. Throw us a couple bucks. Uh, it'll really help us pay our editors who do such fine work. Um, show your support. There's all sorts of cool extra perks. We're designing a new sticker for you guys. We've got a, a live event coming up at the end of the summer. Uh, patrons will get a little extra something something. 
um, and also our newsletter. So, you know, I think Oren put it best when he described it as uh, our Patreon subscribers are like the IMDb pro of just <laughs> the Just Shoot It community. So, yeah, I um, did put it best. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, look, the show is always going to be free, and so this is just an extra way to say thank you. So if you think that the show has brought you a little bit of value and you've got a little disposable income to help support the people who make it, uh, throw us a buck or two. Thanks, guys. And here's Jessica. Jessica Sanders, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No problem. Welcome, welcome. I've known Jessica for a pretty long time. You're one of the first directors. I mean, I don't know. I, I met you through, we have a mutual friend, Avi, and you were always directing like a bunch of cool commercials. Like yeah. years ago when I first moved to Silver Lake. Um, and you're still directing a lot of cool things. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm excited. let's talk about it. Jessica, okay. did you, were you born here? Were you I'm LA from, native? Yeah, I'm from Santa Monica and oh, right on. come from a filmmaking family. So grew up in it. Uh, I am always curious when I meet someone who's, when, born and raised in LA. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Harvard Westlake, which mm-hmm. is more like nerdy than like creative. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the, it's Slytherin of the, <laughs> <laughs> the LA private schools, right? Like it's pretty, it's famously competitive and just yeah, yeah. I was high consi- state cutthroat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People intense. kill each yeah. other. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And it has nothing to do with Harvard, right? No relation? Mm-mm. Actually, when I went, it was a girls' school called Westlake and a boys' school called oh. Harvard, and they merged my ninth grade year. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, cool. Ooh, what a terrible year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you saw girls suddenly become mean. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So your parents were filmmakers, so did they tell you you have to be a filmmaker? No, they were like, don't do filmmaking. <laughs> Stay away. Be a lawyer. What, why, what was their perspective? Why did they say don't I do think filmmaking? they just, because, like, the life... The filmmaking life is like not necessarily easy path, but they, as my mentors, like have always followed their passion and they love what they do. So, and they, why wouldn't I want to do that too? And you know, traveled the world with them growing up and their films and um, art and life is very interconnected. Where like they made a film about Maya Lin, who designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in D.C., and then she like designed a house for them or um they made a film on fighter pilots shot down north vietnam and those people are their friends so like it's all very connected and mm-hmm. it was an interesting way to grow up and they did mostly documentary stuff all uh, my dad actually started narrative and he won an oscar when he was 21 um for a short film called a time out of war and then he discovered uh, robert redford with his brother they directed redford's first movie called war hunt Korean Wait, your film. dad discovered Robert yes. Redford? Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, oh, I didn't first know movie. And then he and his brother both got into documentaries. So he started out narrative, but he's been doing... And then actually at age like 85, he just directed a narrative film. <laughs> so, oh, right. Um, based Way on a script go. that he wrote Good in 1966 and like resurrected it. Wow. About first love. That's awesome. So it's never too late to follow your dreams. So did you note that script? I actually found it like... I don't know, like seven years ago, and I wanted to direct it. Oh, that's cool, yeah. And then my dad was like, let's co-direct it. I'm like, uh. Mm. And then I was like, you need to make your movie. So, yeah. But there was a period where I actually I wanted to direct it. But it's his story, and, it, sure. and he needed to make that movie. It was cool. Wait, you found the script, like, in an old drawer or something? I don't know. I just, like, came across it. It's called Liza Liza, Skies Are Gray, and it's this kind of coming-of-age teen love story and set on the California coast, and... 
these kids drive up from Santa Monica to Big Sur to lose their virginity, and it's really beautiful. And I don't know, it's it's a good story. That's cool. Do you think, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, but do you think that like a 25-year-old filmmaker versus like a 45-year-old filmmaker versus an 85-year-old filmmaker making a movie about teen love, like that those three versions of the movie come out very differently from each other? Like you mean saying based on age? Yeah, that like the things, that how old you are, the, the things that you care about are a lot different, right? Like if you're in your 20s, there's like pretty much one thing you care about, which is like kind of sex and friendships and roommates, right? Like three things you care about. <laughs> um, but then if you're like in your 40s, you're, it's a little bit more about like, where am I going in life, right? Uh, it's a, it just seems like like very yeah. different perspectives as human beings, not necessarily filmmakers. So if you're making like a teen love story... As like an older person. I mean, yeah. that my dad, it was based on his own like first love story and he directed it at 85. So I guess, yeah, it felt as a nostalgic feel. It's set in the 60s. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so you started out making documentaries. I did. So I definitely followed in my family's footsteps. Do you remember the moment that you were like, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, I went to Wesleyan and I studied film and mm -hmm. I was just, I made a narrative short that like did the festival circuit it was my thesis film. And it's like, I'm good at, the, I was just like, I could tell I was, I was like, I'm, I felt confident in it and I, I just felt like I was good at it and it was fun. Um, and what's the question? Just, just the moment that you decided like, oh, I'm going to be serious about being a filmmaker. Oh. Yeah. I think I just always, like I never I wasn't, I would never was like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. I just like immediately like started me. directed very early on. So I've started, I just, I mean, my first, like I said, my first thesis film, I've been touring with festivals since like for 20 years, a long time. So, um, I just, I just, I just did it. Yeah. And were you doing every, like shooting and editing and doing everything yourself or did you always kind of work with the team? Um, I've always worked with talented cinematographers. So actually my DP, Shauna Hagen, who's like a big documentary DP, she shot my student film and now I still work with her. Oh, cool. Um, and then I edited my first short film and I actually kind of started out in editing a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've always like, I'm very collaborative and I, I don't like doing everything myself, not because I can't, but I just think it's more fun and inclusive and bringing smart people together to create something is like one of the best things ever. Right. Yeah. I'm, I only barely worked with you once. I oh, did really? like some, well, we, I did some VFX shots on, oh, right. you on Bunyan, some, your yes. short film, <laughs> but I, I'm in that movie too. I, uh, I'm hacky sack oh, right. in the park. <laughs> uh, typecast. But I remember you just had like every person on your crew just seemed like so good. Oh, thanks. Um, and you made it for like no money, right? So. Yes. So you direct a lot of commercials, right? Is yeah. that like part of how you get like really good crews to work for you? I don't. I mean, I feel projects? like whether it's tiny or bigger budget, like you still always have to have the best people. I mean, it doesn't mean like they're like the fancy, just like good people, you know? So. Sure. But I think, you know, there is a difference between having the resources to hire the best people and then maybe the friends and family version. Like I maybe Oren is asking like, how do you build relationships with the people 
that you got for Bunyan, for instance? Yeah. Um, well, and also my new short film, I definitely like benefited from my commercial mm-hmm. creative teammates that I work with and brought them onto my narrative. So, um, yes, being a commercial director, I always say is like the best thing that ever happened to me because mm-hmm. I had a 11 year career as a documentary filmmaker and traveled the world, like was nominated for an Oscar one Sundance, like have had theatrical films and, um, but Are it's, you won Sundance with uh, March? Um, with After Innocence. Oh, After which Innocence. Is the, it was the first major film about wrongfully convicted people cleared by DNA and what happens once they get out of prison. And my next, my first narrative feature film, which I'm going to do next, is based on a story from that film. Oh, and did you find that story yourself? Um, yeah, I developed it from scratch. Basically, for After Innocence, I... Um, my producing partner was an attorney with the Innocence Project, and mm-hmm. I had been nominated for an Oscar for a film called Sing about one of the best children's choirs in the country. And so we had a mutual friend. So I was like the filmmaker, and he was the lawyer. You know, he had the access to the Innocence Project, and the Innocence Project had never given access to anyone before to tell mm-hmm. the stories of their clients. And we got permission, and and we started this journey where. At the time, like now there's like serial and making a murder and like there's so much attention mm-hmm. on wrongful conviction stories, but our film was like the first and, um, well, a thin blue line, right? Okay. There was, thin, but this was like, it, this was like, it has helped change laws. It helped one guy get $2 million for 22 years in prison for a rape. He didn't do it. Like it's, it became sure. part of like a, yeah, yeah. a bigger thing, but yes, there was thin blue sure. line for sure. Which did that too. But- yeah, I actually haven't seen that in like a hundred years. Oh, it's good. I mean, it's it's still weird because it does all of those reenactment things, you know. But like, yeah, definitely. Errol Morris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, we're very thing. different filmmakers. <laughs> hey, man. But we both actually the only filmmakers that were allowed. Sorry, I'm like going all over the place. But no, we're no, the no, only no, filmmakers fine. allowed to film at Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Theranos. Do you know about her? Mm-mm. She's the woman who's like now like under like in investigation because her company, the blood testing company, like she was the youngest oh, yeah, yeah. billionaire. And it was just funny that we, I haven't met Errol, but we, we both filmed out there and us anyways, but back to after innocence. Um, anyways, yeah, it was, it was a great experience making that movie. And, um, but yes, there was thin blue men, yeah, but no, no, sorry. <laughs> damn it, Matt. <laughs> sorry. You sorry. ruined the flow. Yeah, no, I, yeah, just I, kidding. Yeah. Um, but you were saying though before, just to kind of circle back, because I feel like we are all over the place, and you've got so much interesting stuff to talk about. But you were saying um, commercial directing was the best thing that ever happened oh. to you because you'd won all these awards, you'd done documentary, and then you kind of moved into commercial, and that maybe helped you solidify your teammate. Is that what? Your no, it just or? creatively like I was ready for a new chapter. Like mm-hmm. I grew up in a documentary filmmaking family. I creatively like work did major documentary films for, like I said, like 11 mm-hmm. years. And I don't know, I felt like I'd done what I, I mean, I don't you know, I'm kind of like, a, kind yeah, of, sure. and I basically made this really intense Holocaust movie that were mentioned called March oh, of right. Living. Uh, it was a Brazilian Holocaust production shot in Brazil, Germany, Poland, Israel, and the U.S. And it like kind of kicked my butt. And after that, I was yeah, like, I it's like, I don't, I edited it for a year. It was crazy. And, and it was in five languages. And I don't know, after that, I just, I was like, I don't want to make a documentary for a while. <laughs> and cool I, it doesn't mean that studio. I won't, but it's yeah, just yeah. like I consciously shifted into more crafted narrative filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, 
this like opportunity came up to make an autobiographical short film for Sony mm-hmm. that was shot at my parents' house and it was 90 seconds long about like having film in the refrigerator and like film stock under the bed and it's all, you know, it's all real. The object, I don't like to be on film. So it's my story told through the objects in our home. And that launched my commercial career because it ended up I like see. going viral and winning in Cannes and Steve Jobs saw it. And then commercial directing, I would say this is the best thing ever happened to me because one, it's so fun and, um, and I like support and I like collaborating with like production designers and costume designers and just having more, I think documentaries, like it's like you're doing everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I do have a crew, but it's like, you're it's still a doing deal. a lot. Yeah. And I just, yeah. in commercial directing and more narrative directing, it's like you get to just do the more creative stuff. And that's been so much fun. I wonder if, um, you know, I, I think about the nature of not having, my, let me back up. My parents were like, totally normal, like work a day. Like my mom's a teacher, my dad's a plant salesman, right? And so- Your dad was, sells plants? He was like merchandising basically. So he was a sales rep for like a, a company that would make sure that the, you know, Walmart had a pl- plenty of daisies, oh, you know, okay. literally, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, and my, my, I always joke, my grandparents were uh, an FBI agent, a stay-at-home mom, a meat packer, and wanted my like a telephone technician so like straight up 50s jobs you know what i mean like classic like i love lucy style jobs anyway so the point is is that i didn't have a creative lifestyle modeled for me right and so the idea of freelancing is insane to them you know not having like my grandpa worked at at&t his entire life he had one job that was it. I mean, like the company split a couple times, so you got great stock options, but like, you know, that was their whole thing. And so I wonder if there's maybe something about your parents are both documentarians, like it's an, a more natural step to be like, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is shoot documentary. And then once you get the hang of that, shifting into something else, maybe, could that be Part of the process, you Maybe. think? Maybe. I mean, I, I went projecting? to Wesleyan and I studied narrative filmmaking and sure. I made a narrative short and I always intended to narrative. And during my documentary career, like I wrote my first script and realized I'm like, I'd rather work with writers who are better at it than mm-hmm. me. So I wanted to do narrative, but I also like, yeah, maybe between like feel getting a strong handle on like character and mm-hmm. narrative of in the documentary world and then also becoming a very experienced director as a commercial director, working with like huge crews, huge budgets. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm like very, very ready to do a narrative sure. feature. So, um, yeah, I don't know, but, and maybe, yeah, just like evolving as a yeah. creative person. Well, I want to talk about your latest short and your feature that you're doing, but the last thing I want to ask about, like your transition from documentaries to commercials is, I guess I think what I'm thinking, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking is like, to try to make a sustainable living, it seems to the outsider that you would make a lot more money doing commercials and maybe be able to save up some money or buy a house or put get a 401k or something. And in documentary filmmaking, it's probably a little bit harder. I mean, we don't really get residuals doing any of our jobs, right? So it's like whatever you get paid next week, yeah. you're not going to get paid again until no, you get the next Yeah, job. for sure. Being commercial director is night and day. I mean, I've always made a 
living as a filmmaker in documentaries so my family but yeah when suddenly you, you like learn like become a commercial director like oh this is completely different <laughs> um and it's great because you're getting paid to like also learn like try with like work with drones or cranes or like work with incredible cinematographers who do huge movies you know so um and you can make a living in a much more vibrant way and then like for instance I w- I've been able to save up so I can develop my feature and um so that's been very helpful that's awesome so okay so then so you made a short that premiered at Sundance this year end of end of the, the line. line end yeah. of the line with Simon Helberg and Brett Gelman and a bunch of other cool people, right? Or like, or how, uh, how did that come well, about? Well, I actually read that story 13 years ago, and I've wanted to make it for 13 years. So, but it's a very ambitious short. It's all visual effects because it's about a man who goes to the pet store and buys a two-inch man in a cage and brings mm-hmm. him home. And you have to. We had to build a 30-foot cage. We built a 30-foot penis. We had 67 visual effects shots. I'd Who never doesn't t- have a 30-foot penis <laughs> just laying around, though? Yeah. It was you know, awesome. Are, it's like red cameras and 30-feet penis. <laughs> right. But um, so it's just one of these crazy stories. It's written by the writer Amy Bender. And so I just was like, I really want to, I just, I don't know, this image of the little man in the cage always stayed with me. So, um, so I just knew I wanted to make it. I didn't know how I would ever make it, but I just knew I would. Just like want something you have in your back pocket. And then um, a woman named Joanne Geiger, who's a screenwriter, she's writing another feature for me. I was like, oh, maybe you should do this short. And she loved it. And so she adapted it maybe like six years ago and we would work on it on and off. And then and did you have the rights to the story? Not even, short? not yet. Yeah. I mean, I knew the writer, but I hadn't optioned the, the rights yet. Oh. And then two years ago, I met with Refinery29. They're like a women's, like a mega website yeah, online magazine sure yeah I and did they, the series shitty boyfriends do you know that series i don't know but they're amazing i love them they're amazing and they they basically are like they're just they're killing it and they're basically like hollywood is so unequal and it's hiring practices of women four percent of hollywood features are directed by women we want to help create change and they started a campaign called shatterbox where every year they're supporting i think like eight female directors and their films and so i'm very lucky to be um, have my film financed by them and TNT. Um, and also I had to get additional support from a, a couple of generous executive producers because the film is not, is, you know, not, sure. not a small film. Not but, uh, Wait, and how did you become one of those eight? Did you apply or did they? I just like happened you? to have like a random general meeting. Someone was like, Oh, you should, you're in New York. You should go meet with them. And I met with them and they were like, Oh, we have this new thing called shadow. I didn't even know what they were. And now I'm like huge a huge, like yeah. I'm indebted to them. Yeah, they're amazing. I love them. Yeah. And so you sent them, you're like, at your general meeting, you're like, well, by the way, I have this Well, I actually had project. another project with our friend Avi, like an improvised comedy that I, I've been like working on. And, um, cause that's like female and Refinery29 is about women. So end of the line, my short is about men and power and like penises. There's no, it's not <laughs> about women. So I didn't think they would be interested, but they're like, oh, the theme of Shatterbox is power. So I was like, well, it is about power. So I sent it to them and they're like, oh my God, we love it. So it was, it was awesome. It was cool that they loved it. So, but they, it took two years to set up. I'm, I'm curious. How did you go about optioning the story once you were ready to, to go for it? Just like like literally the logistics of like um, how do you? Do well, that? I did know Amy the writer, but mm-hmm. I've optioned other pro- other books, and you just contact the writer and your lawyers negotiate it. And so when you say you contact the writer, like literally though, 
I think I sent her an email and I'm like, hey, I'm yeah, interested. Yeah. You like Google their website and, and shoot them Probably. an email? Probably. I think, yeah. yeah, most people you can like find out where yeah. they're repped. And um, she's like, cool, that sounds fun. And then, yeah, then you have the lawyers talk. And mm-hmm. Is there, I'm always curious about like, I wonder if there's a way of doing a little bit of research and knowing whether or not something is has already been optioned or not. You know? You can't, I mean, I know that this story actually I think like, I don't know if Rosanna Arquette, but someone like that had optioned it, I think, before me, mm-hmm. but never did anything with it. And it is, and actually my next project, which is a story that I, like, helped help have uh, find the writer for the book. Like, they ended, they first, like, had someone else option it, then I ended. I mean, so, like, so I think if you are passionate about a story or a book or an article, like, keep tabs on it because things fall apart or, you know, um, so, so it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. I mean, if, if it's an option before, it doesn't matter. Is that like part of being a filmmaker to you? Is it like keeping your eyes open for like kind of cool stories? And like, it seems like, cause I've no, I kind of feel like for the past few years, I've kind of been hearing of you like looking for scripts or finding scripts or finding projects or developing things. Like how much of your weekly of your week do you dedicate to like finding stuff to direct? That's a good question. I mean, I'm not the best reader of scripts, like um, not the fastest, but I do get scripts sent to me. So by my agents or like or even my short, like a couple of producers have reached out to me. They're like, oh, my God, we want you to direct our movie. And like they weren't necessarily the right fit. Um but I, I mean, like my feature that I'm doing and also the short, these are all like things I've been with for like, like I said, like 13 years and mm-hmm. I've developed from scratch and, and I have another project that's based on a book that my best friend wrote and I've also been developing for like eight years. So like, I guess I would totally direct something that I can just be hired on and not have to develop it from scratch. But I do like, yeah, to like have it be my baby and really like. I think like good stuff takes a long time to find its way. Right. And you've been attached to things and detached and a little right. bit, not like heavily, but yeah, maybe like one, one or two projects. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, so I think a lot of our, I mean, our listeners are kind of all over the place. A lot of working professionals, a lot of film school students, a lot of people that are just moving to LA or deciding to like get into film. But it sounds like kind of what you have is like, you have all these stories you want to tell while you're making a living as a filmmaker mm-hmm. doing commercials or documentaries. Yeah. But you also are like networking and getting meetings and basically like. And then you're ready with the right yeah. project for that meeting. Like right. you need yeah. those two elements to come together. Yeah. If you didn't have the script for your short, then that meeting with Refinery29 would have just been nice and you had a bottle yeah. of water. That was you know? just like one of those things that was like, oh my God, I do have something. Right. But yeah. But that's like. That was like, I have that. There was not like a 50 shorts laying sure. around. Like that like was like my box. prize that I've been like. Right. But you also had that feature that you were developing with Avi. And like, I feel like you, it's happened, a, like you've originated a lot of projects, whether it's something yeah. you found or whether it's. I have um, originated a lot of projects. And I also just think like, I mean, there is an imbalance in hiring practices in Hollywood. And I definitely have gone up for feature jobs and like not gotten, you know, so I. I, it's not like I'm like not trying to get hired on stuff too, you know. So it's like it's sure. a it's a mix. But um, but I'm lately very inspired by like 
Jordan Peele, or I just saw Sorry to Bother You with Boots, Riley, and I met him at Sundance, or I just saw John Waters' Hairspray last night, and just, like, even with my short coming out or my feature, there is something about, like, we're artists, right, and, like, having your own, just, like, investing in your own art and your own baby is, like, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm in the process of, like, my first narrative feature, which has been, like, a very long road, but it's going to be, like, my creative dream coming true, and I think that will then attract, like, I just think it's, like, right now I'm interested in, like, investing in my own, like, sure. stuff. And Betting on yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I feel like because we, you know, Matt and I, we're actually, we, we're going to try to shoot something together because um, we do this podcast together for three years and it's been working. And we're like, I, I think we both have the same issue, which is we want to make our own things and we feel like we're, you know, artists to, to, uh, to some extent. We have stories we want to tell and things we want to explore but we also like want to make a living and support our families and go out to restaurants and you know we do all that stuff yeah. um, I don't eat out. go I on trips free pizza right now anyway, so that's why. <laughs> jesse just goes from podcast to podcast being like hey uh, like, I might yeah, order what, some food. what free food can i get sure. um, no but is that how do you get over that anxiety of like looking for the next commercial job or looking for the next paid gig and say, Hey, I'm going to just take this time and develop this script or option this thing, knowing that it might not go anywhere, you know? Um, well, it's not like I'm not looking for commercial work, or anything like that. you know, like everything's <laughs> like, all no, in pass, process. Pass, pass. Um, but I like, you know, hopefully I'm directing my film in the next six, eight months. So like, I have turned down some things that didn't seem like I do want to really like invest all my create a lot of creative energy and like, like making this the best possible film. So, um, but yeah, I'm not like turning down like a paid gig if it's the right gig, you know, mm-hmm. but everything, it takes a really long time. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, my test is like, if you're obsessed with it, and you love it because it's going to take a long time, like, then you'll, that's what, that's the litmus test. Because if you're not, like, deeply passionate about it, it's too hard and long to, like, not be, it's just, you have to To make a it. movie. Yeah. Do you think that's true even for your first project? Or do you think it's, like, kind of helpful to get, like, your first feature out of the way or feature length no. piece? No, I think, like, all the auteurs that I love, mm-hmm. they did, like, whether it's, I don't know, Damien Chazelle did Whiplash. Like, if you, like, do a... I mean, of course, there are people, like, got their feet wet. But, I mean, I... I... My path, like, it is, like, my first doc, like, you know, when Sundance, my first commercial was the Sony thing. I don't know, so I'm like, maybe that's my path where, like, I'll go kill it with the first thing mm-hmm. and then see what happens. But I don't know. I'm, I haven't... I'm in the process right now, so... Right. And how'd you find the writer that you're, that's writing the movie? Um, I got a great writer. I mean, very, very involved, but, um, I saw the movie L. Oh yeah. I love that movie. Bear was nominated for an Oscar and I. She won the Oscar. She was nominated. No, she won. I think she won the French Oscar, but not the no, Oscar. No, she won the Isabel Huppert. Yeah. She won best actress. I don't think so. I'll confirm right now. Yeah. I don't sure remember. She didn't. I'm pretty sure because no, everyone... I know she didn't. I know. I know she won like the French Oscar, like, but not. Oh, right. I think Let me know. everyone I'm in their car sure. is like shouting at you. <laughs> <laughs> Best actress nominees 2017: Emma Stone. Damn it! 
<laughs> so anyways, golden I had, Globes. She won the Golden Globe. Right? Um, so yeah, so I I mean I'd been developing a script for a couple years, but um David Burke is awesome. He's like one of the best. He's amazing. Anyway, so I assumed he was French and um I was looking I had a writer and like and then parted ways and so I was looking for a great writer and um I saw Elle because it's about a woman who's raped and my film involves a rape and um and when I got out of that movie, I was with a friend. They were like, oh, you got to find a writer like that. I was like, I know. It's such an incredible movie. And then, like, the next day I was out with some friends. I was like, I need to find a screenwriter. And she's like, oh, our friend wrote L. I was like, oh, my God, I just <laughs> saw it. He's not French. She's like, no, he lives in Burbank. He's like, our friend. Um, so I wrote him email. And, like, he had, he wanted to do it. And, like, it was, it was like, a, it was a miracle. <laughs> Wait, so you just saw Elle, your friend said that they knew the person that wrote no, Elle. No, she just randomly was, I didn't even say that I'd seen Elle. She was just like, oh, our friend is like blowing up. He just wrote Elle. I was like, I just saw it. That was written by a man? Yeah. Wow. So have you seen it? I haven't Matt, seen it. It's no. really good. Yeah. It's really like fucked up, um, but in a good way. I missed it. So then you just so called them and you were like, hey. I just wrote them an email and then, yeah. See, I guess and I would hold, be like. Hold, hold on. Pump the brakes here. <laughs> okay. Like, you're like, hey, I saw your movie. We have this friend in common. Well, I tell him about the project. Sure. It's based on a best-selling book. I'm a, like... And you own the I put up all my awards. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm an Oscar-nominated Sundance Academy. You know, you say sure, all sure. stuff to make you sound fancy. and But also, he has to, like, love the story. And also, he specifically, um, I you know, he's, like, had a... He's done like 14 movies, but mm-hmm. I think it hasn't necessarily been the easiest road. And then a lot of it has been horror. So L oh, was like his break yeah, yeah. out and like getting out of that. And so I think even with picking cotton, it's a, I mean, I think he's, like, he, I really think he can write anything. So I think he wouldn't maybe not necessarily be offered a project like this. So for him, it was a different mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you're offering him an opportunity You've got like this pedigree, <laughs> if you no, know, but no, for real okay, though, because yes. I think that there's, I, I don't want to give listeners the misconception that it's that easy, but it, in a certain sense it is, right? So like I breaking think, down the fundamentals I of it, I think the are one valuable. thing to take away is like if you really, if you love somebody or something, like go for the best is mm-hmm. like my, if you can, you sure, know, and yeah. I, I definitely like went went out to a lot of like major writers too who didn't it was too small for their, I don't know, like, or it wasn't a good fit or who knows what. But I mean, yeah, I think even with my short film, like I got big actors on my mm-hmm. little short film. Cause I was like, I want like, sure. let's go for it. You know, instead of thinking, like, Oh, it's short. It's like small. It's I was small, like, no, yeah. like I got Simon Hellberger's on the big bang theory. I got Brett yeah. Gelman. who's like on stranger things and lemon, you know, like they love the script and it, it was, they, right. it, and it know. wasn't for them. It wasn't about being paid. Well, <laughs> Right. No. I mean, Simon I mean, it is was so sa- rich. it was SAG, so yes, <laughs> sure. they ha- we had to pay sure. them. But um, but yes, I don't think a short film. A short film is about creative opportunity. I think, and yeah. someone like Simon, I don't think he got like he really he had a very. Yeah. They both had a lot of emotional range in this film, yeah. and in in ways that especially Simon, I think, with the Big Bang Theory, maybe doesn't have doesn't get to do a role like right. this. Right. Well, it's so. pretty, he does some provocative stuff There's some in provocative it. stuff in the short, yes. Did he you very... have any personal connections to either of them? Or like, how did you get to sign Um, We are both at the same talent agency, but I had met him once mm-hmm. kind of socially like a couple of years ago, but, but they still have to like, it's just because you met them once doesn't mean, you know, like, sure. so basically both of them, I wrote them a letter being like, 
I think you're amazing. You'd be, you know, you'd be incredible for this role. Like, I hope you like it, you know, but, mm-hmm. but everything I do usually starts with like, like I said, like the email or a letter just. So, and you, so you have the same age, you're at the same agency as Simon. So you ask your agent if he can, he or she can pass your letter on. Which to is amazing. You're like, oh, agent? it works in shorts. Yeah. Even um, Bunyan, I didn't know Alia Shokat. And oh, you didn't? No. Oh. And you guys were like, we're not even at the same agency or anything. And I, I think I just called her agent and sent her the letter and a script. So in that regard, it's like cool to know that, you know, if you do reach out, Sure. Wait, can people. you tell us the secrets of the letter? <laughs> like, what do you include in that? So you, I mean, obviously you tell they a little bit about yourself, right? Like your Yeah, credits. I mean, I think you usually, you should always keep letters sh- simple and short and always under pay. Like you don't want to have like, some long letter, so it should be simple and effective. And do you tell her why you think she's like, you? Oh, now we're going to Alia? Um, yeah, or any of them. I, that you do yeah, tell I think actors. like, like I'm a big fan of your work, like. I, I love like this, what you've done. And like, I, I'm writing you about, you know, the role of little man and, you know, just, mm-hmm. and like why I love this story and what, like as an actor, I, I think they can bring to the role and a little bit, a couple of lines about me and like, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. But you don't send like a lookbook or check out this test we shot or this is what I'm imagining it'll look like or tone. No, cause I think it's, it is actually, it does boil down to the, writing right always so I think for end of the line I did have like a a very simple like two pages of visuals but um Bunyan no and do you talk about the rest of the team do you say like we got this DP or this it's finance I don't even have any of that yeah oh and do you have and also I don't think I mean I love my DPs but I don't think people like I don't know unless it's like right sure right I don't know most people no I think they they have to it has to be a good creative fit and I have to love it and also feel safe, I think. Yeah. I remember this is a very weird tangent, but I was trying to attach, remember I was doing that movie I was attached to this movie a year ago. We were looking for an older actor and I think we're out to Christopher Walken and, uh, I have a friend that's like a psychic and he was like trying to channel Christopher Walken. I was like, I need to write him a letter, but I don't know what to say. And he's like, hold on, let me, let me channel him and I'll tell you what to say. Um, and that we're like is in like the, middle the of a worst restaurant. pitch for an SNL sketch I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we're in the middle of Pine and Crane, this Taiwanese restaurant here in Silver Lake. And he's just like closes his eyes and he's like, he's like, hold on. Um, he's like, I'm going to do something weird, but just like, hold on. Don't say anything. I'll be back with you in a second. <laughs> he just like closes his eyes and he's like, holds his hand, like, you know, in like the own position. And he just like channels Christopher Walken. And then he like comes back to me and he's like, okay, so a long shot this is we'll start with this <laughs> i never told you about this no i thought no, i talked about this on no, the podcast before no, no you have not uh, are there tarot cards also involved no he's like an empath empath nyc you can follow this him on is, instagram yeah you're blowing my mind anyway he goes, is, he goes this is a side of Oren <laughs> i've not seen before yeah well, he goes so there's two ways you can get christopher walken first one probably not going to happen is just to offer him like a fuck ton of money right and he's like how much can you pay this person i was like i don't know like a million dollars? He's like, nah, that, that's not the game changer for him. Second thing is he doesn't care about you. Don't talk about you. Don't talk about why you care. Just talk about why he's uniquely suited for this film, yeah. what you've seen him do and why you that's think he's the only right. person. You had to ask the psychic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's an empath. Um, uh, so was she was channeling. Me. Yeah, no. So I guess Mr. he was Big right. Big Bang Theory. Um, uh, well, I guess, but I guess just to 
I, I just don't know how granular, like, I don't want it to seem patronizing. I don't want to say like the way you looked at Leonardo DiCaprio and like catch me if you can just really made me think that you would be perfect for this. Well, I don't know. I guess if it comes from the heart, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're not bullshitting, then maybe well, it's fine. Well, but just but if they're act, if they're the fifth actor you're going out to, but if they're the fifth actor it, and you, there's has to be a reason why you're choosing like writing them. Right, know? right. So I wonder if uh, this is speaking just from personal experience. I think that when you're kind of like getting a little lower on your list, like that first choice passes, second choice you're still super excited. Even when you get down to your fifth, I'll do the thing of like. You kind of copy and paste the letter and then you tweak the important things here and there. I wonder if maybe just starting from scratch keeps you from phoning things in or like I not think so, But I also think bit, like you know? things happen the way yeah. they're supposed to happen. So if like people are not a good fit, it's like good. It's good. You're like, oh, good. You're not sure. like, like it's all, it's all good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My DP for the short couldn't, ended up like his movie pushed and couldn't do it. And like, it was like two weeks before the sh- like, or maybe three weeks, but it was a very involved visual effects shoot, and I needed someone who was like available, like every like, ten hours a day of prep for weeks before. It was because it was so intense, and and I ended up getting an amazing, amazing DP. But it's like the right person will unfold. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what you're saying that's really kind of inspiring is just like, you see L and you like the writing contact the writer of L you just know? go get them yeah I've heard of people sometimes I'll like see a short from someone that's like never made anything before and it like looks amazing and I'm like how does it look so good and yeah then like, reach out to the we DJ. got the colorist from you know CSI it's like how'd you get him he's like I don't know I emailed him he said he'll yeah, do it yeah that's for the like thing I, I really feel like just go for what you want yeah cause yeah. like I feel like we're all creative people who want to do good work and connect and like just go for it yeah. Well, so how'd you put the feature together? Or is it is it cast already or what no, process are you No, we are in process of setting it up right now, so I can't say too much, but it's been a journey getting here and mm-hmm. it's in the moving in the right direction, so I'm excited. But it's independent. You're going to make it independently, right? Like not with the studio. Yeah. Did having your short at Sundance like help in any it way? It can't hurt that, yeah? for sure. I mean, <laughs> I... The other, the timing of the short, it's just like, it's, it's been good, the timing of it, just cause like, and also for myself, like before I do my feature, the short was basically a feature, but we only shot for six and a half days, but it was like the same, I would hire like my creative team, the amount of prep. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was the best for me as a director to like, kind of feel like, okay, now I'm going to do it for longer. Um, for myself, it was the best. And then. For definitely just because I hadn't had a narrative sample since Bunyan and this is a lot more complicated. And um, Can you tell it, us what this story is about? Of which one? The movie that you're going to do. Oh, um, it's called Picking Cotton and it's based on a true story from my documentary After Innocence um, about a white woman in North Carolina who was raped in college. She spent 30 minutes with her rapist who was black and studied his face. It was dark and in a lineup she identified a man in Ronald Cotton and was totally certain that he was her rapist and he was sentenced to life in prison. And after 11 years, he was the first DNA exoneree in North Carolina. When he got out, she wanted to meet him and apologize and he forgave her. And now they're best friends are also activists. And he also solved his own case. 
he was in prison with a real rapist and like six months and figured it out and, um, was able to get like a retrial and like present the real rapist. And she was like, I've never seen this man in my life. So I witnessed Miss ID, which is what like, Mm -hmm. like she like thought she was like, that's my rapist, but she was wrong. Like is actually the leading cause of wrongful conviction. So like laws have changed because of this case. Lineups are banned in a lot of states because she was given seven men in a lineup, but the real rapist was never there. So, but as a victim, Mm, you feel like, oh, why are they showing me the seven guys? I should choose one of these people. So, um, they were in my documentaries. I've been friends with them for like 13, 14 years. Um, I helped them find a writer, um, for the book, Picking Cotton, um, Aaron Tornio. And, um, so they, they co-read it in their voices with her and, um, it became a New York Times bestselling book. And I'm directing the adaptation of it, so I'm really excited. Wow, yeah, can't it's wait. Hard. Sounds great. I know. And yeah, it's hard to a, think that's of a like wonderful pitch. Yeah, a more perfect person to direct Aww. it too, which is I was, right. I well, think I mean, I'm, I'm friends challenges. with them. I've been with this story for mm-hmm. many, many, many years, and I think there's an activist part of me that, like, what I the work that I did with After Innocence of like changing laws and helping innocent people and like just like being part of criminal justice change. I want it to even go even further with this film. So I'm really excited. And does this start like at the beginning, like at the crime and end yeah. at the, yeah. At the and, exoneration or, yeah, or like a little or after, after. yeah. Or a at the after, yeah. finding the real person. Or because about how starting a relationship as, as two people who are both harmed by the system and mm-hmm. actually share the same perpetrator too. And, um, right. that they're very like two people who they're the same age from the same place, but they're different races, different classes, like completely different personalities, but they're totally connected. And it's almost like mm-hmm. a love story in it. In right. A way. And it's a perfect like act structure thing, right? Like if you look at a movie like Mr. And Mrs. Smith or like a real by the book kind of story where they, the second act is about them, they're assassins and they're hired, they're assigned to kill each other. So they're like the enemy, each other's enemies and opponents for the entire second act. And at the end, when they have their final shootout in their house and they're seeing every item in their house that's reminding them of their love and their marriage, they kind of come back together with like a kiss. And then they were like, shit, now we got to be together. I have to rewatch that movie. It's really good. You know, (laughs) it's written by Simon. I love the movie. I haven't thought about it in relation to my movie, but I should look at it again. Yeah, it was written by Simon Kinberg. But I think like every movie, you kind of, not every movie, but all, every kind of relationship movie, Mm -hmm. a good one, I think the second act is that people are opposing each other and they kind of come back together at the second act and they figure out who the real bad person is, which is in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it's they're still on the hook to kill each other, right? For their bosses. So now they have to team up and go um, take out their bosses pretty much. Um, They have to like kind of destroy the system, which is, I mean, very much like your story, right? It's like these uh, two people (laughs) are... shoot out at the end uh, of Pinkett. A little different, but yeah, I mean... No, but... But yeah, maybe... But the yeah, fact that the same like perpetrator, that. they're like, they're opponi- opposing each other, yeah. right? And yeah. then... There's a symmetry to it, for sure. They come yeah. together to take out the real bad guy. Yeah. Well, Ronald... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story that it's true. So, And also, I like it because it's positive and that, like, there's a, it's about forgiveness. I think, like, everybody did their best, like, from the mm-hmm. cops to, like, as soon as they found out that Ronald was innocent, it was like, let's get him out, like, the police officer involved became police chief and he helped ban lineups. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so many stories of misconduct and 
I just, I, I, yeah. I think it's inspiring. That's actually like a positive story. And yeah, I, it's a I, redemption think I like story to be for part everyone. of telling something that, yeah, it's not yeah. just like another negative story. So when you have a great story like this, that you, I mean, you have all the, all the pieces you need, right? Like it's all kind of lining up. How, like, how do you decide how much money you need to make it? And like, like how, how does the production start? I mean, into I your just process. the beginning, like I said, I'm setting it up right now, but I hired a line producer. So we did a schedule and budget to keep it like affordable. And do you have a, do you know how many days you're going to shoot or anything like that? I mean, this is like the schedule. I don't know how it'll all shake out, but like right now it's like 33 days. And, and is it a period piece? Um, it takes place in 1986 to 95. So, but I've also scouted every single location that I could of the actual story just for myself as a filmmaker because I'm a big nerd and just want to like know what everything looks like and like what the people just want to talk to like I visit all the prisons that Ronald was at I want to shoot at one of the prisons um like a real working prison yeah so like I've probably been about 14 prisons in the U.S. and then all these concentration camps just I didn't realize I was like really into all this, but apparently I'm into injustice and <laughs> systems. And even like the short film with Little Man in a Cage, I was like, oh, it's like a prison. Like I didn't mean to be a prison person, but there is definitely a strong theme there. And um, but I've been to many prisons, and this one prison that Ronald was at is a former slave plantation. It's thirteen thousand acres. It's like ninety nine percent black people picking vegetables, picking cotton. Now it was built in the thirties. It's the most decrepit, horrible place I've ever seen and I've been to like tons of prisons and also most prisons that I see in film are like um shiny new prisons right. like Orange right. the New Black or, or like Alcatraz night, yeah, or yeah, night yeah. of and night it's yeah. just not when I saw this prison I'm like I want to shoot here or in, I want my prison to look like what this sure. really looks like because it's like Walking Dead well just like we're here in Los Angeles and there are people living in like you know, like 60 bunk beds with like a one fan and like a cooler. And it's, it's just like a million degrees and it's just horrible, you know? And like, I don't, it's just, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in our country and I want to help bring light to that. So cool. Yeah. So you're like, I want to bring a film crew in here. I mean, we'll see how Hang that works. Out. But the, the warden was named Mr. Brickhouse. I mean, can you not like write a better name for yeah. the warden? I was My like, name is what? Jail Brickhouse. Yeah, it was Mr. Brickhouse. And then when I went to his office, he had like a tiny, next to his desk, like a tiny mouse trap with like a tiny piece of cheese. I was like, I don't know, it just felt like a, like a right, old like fashioned a Cone movie. Brothers yeah, it just either. didn't feel, I was like, what? You can't even like yeah. production design. It's like felt fake. It was too perfect. Yeah. Um, are you DGA? Been a member for 11 years. Are you serious? Yeah, got in on my second doc. Oh, wow. And so are you, what do you think about being DGA? Is that helpful for you or does it matter? Uh, the healthcare is amazing as a commercial director. It's, yeah, I think it's great. I love it. And all your commercial jobs are DGA? Yeah. Is there a minimum pay for commercial jobs? I don't know. Is, like, could you do like a $5,000 oh. tiny commercial? I think so. I don't know, actually. I don't know. But I did my short DGA. Oh, really? And that's... What was the yeah. advantage of doing that? Um, because it's going to be on TNT, so we had to. Mm. <laughs> oh, really? And actually, technically, I'm in the DGA, so you have to do it anyways, right. but yes. Because it would have been easy not to, right? Like you just But because of like the release yeah, of yeah. it, we had to. And, then, and also, even like SAG, I think like we had to be buttoned up about everything. Sure. Well, so the last thing I want to ask you about is, like, what about TV? 
I want to direct TV. I've done many programs from Fox to NBC, and I've shadowed on a ton of shows, and I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Like, it's been hard to break in. And I know it's not unique to me because a lot of my female director friends, you know, I, I know it's opening up a lot right now, and I think with this short, like, I'm getting a, lot of, a ton mm-hmm. of TV meetings, but I haven't had that first opportunity yet, and I'm excited to do it. So if what anyone's about- listening... Like the Ryan Murphy program or any of that stuff. Are you into that? Or Yeah, they actually, they invited me to be part of it, but I was doing my short. And so, um, like, the short was insane. It took a long time to make. <laughs> so I had to, like, kind of, I mean, that's all I did for about six, seven months. Well. It was a really intense short. It paid off, it sounds like. So Yeah. 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 And do you think... Sorry, this is a whole new question, but is your do you think your doc background informs at all your filmmaking? Because I saw your short, I'm trying to think. I saw Bunyan, the other short you did, uh, and they don't, they're not doc style yeah. at all. They're no, like, I'm really into like crafted, art directed, but there is a naturalism even if it's heightened, mm-hmm. and I think being a doc and even my documentaries though they're more crafted than like super rough verite like I so I think still me but um but also as a documentary filmmaker I think you also like learn to like be very to agile and like adapt and like even like what you need like like you're like we don't have enough time we have to like, kill eight shots and you like just like going with the flow and being mm-hmm. open and it's like I just I think it's really good training or just it's good like as a documentary filmmaker you're shooting a lot and seeing a lot of real life moments and I think that's very helpful for narrative or commercial or it's all I think it's all good I think everything's like I think everything informs each other so yeah yeah I think about that a lot well cool let's uh, get into our final segment of the show unpaid endorsements all right Warren you want to take it away sure so my endorsement is you guys know bagels um, the, the breakfast food? Sure. I mean, you can eat it at no. any time of the day. If you're a college student, yeah, all-time food. Well, so they're pretty fattening, right? Like if you eat one every day. And what I figured out the other day is if you take like a bagel, like a regular fat bagel, and you take a bread knife and you cut it, instead of cutting it in half, you cut it in like thirds. So you basically try to cut like the very mm-hmm. top sliver and like a very bottom sliver and then... You have this middle like ring. Mm-hmm. You put that ring in the trash can, and then you just toast to, like the top third and the bottom third. There's something where they hollow out that. Yeah, you but get it's that. scooped. Yeah, right. Scooped. Oh, yeah, there's a scoop bagel, but that just seems weird to me, right? This and is I your cultural the, recommendation. The, there's also, I think there are. Um, oh, wait, bagels thin bagels. Thinner, yeah, but yeah. those aren't good. Come You're on. like, no, no, just throw out. Well, no, you have to get a good... Well, did you see that Seinfeld episode where they're trying to sell muffin tops? Sure, yeah. And then they try to bake muffin tops without the muffin, and they're just not good. And That's so, hilarious. Um, they have to bake them with the muffin, but they can't get rid of the muffin bottoms. They have to call in Newman to take care of them. <laughs> um, anyway, that's what, I, that's what I think about bagels. Like, you can't get a skinny bagel. You got to make it, but try it. Next time you make a bagel, cut it into thirds, mm. slice across, and, and I promise you... You'll like it better. And it's like, it toasts faster and it's like a perfect toast. I don't know. It's awesome. Cream cheese, cucumbers. <laughs> and then my favorite new find from Trader Joe's like uh, a year ago is called Everything But The Bagel. It's a seasoning that has like uh-huh. everything that's yeah. on an everything bagel, like salt and poppy seeds and sesame seeds and all that stuff. 
put that on top of the cream cheese. Anyway. Are people still listening? <laughs> that's, that's my recommendation. It's life changing. It. This is hilarious. That's so funny. Awesome. And by the way, both sides of my family, the super pro-Trump and the super anti-Trump sides, both love this everything but the bagel thing. So Listen, that seasoning, I think it can bring us together. It's bringing us together. It's everything. It's all stuff. Yeah. Jessica, what you got? Uh, mine is more like cultural. Sure, no, no. All the bagels okay. are cultural. How is that not cultural? Yeah, right. you can that go. That's like it. edible. I didn't know we had to do edible. Um, <laughs> no, no. I just it's like it when you. friends intersect creatively. And my friend Jonas Belpash, who you guys should interview, has a series on Netflix called Social Fabric. He's very fashionable. It's all about like fashion and the culture behind it. And my costume designer Shirley Karada, who's incredible and is Rodarte's stylist. She was on it. I was like, oh, my God. And it was all about jeans. And she and her man, Charlie Stoughton, have a really cool store in Silver Lake called Virgil Normal. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Where is oh, that? It's on the corner, corner of Normal. Virgil and Normal. And, oh, yeah, Virgil Normal. And <laughs> they have, like, guess. a cereal bar in the back where you can get, like, cereal. Oh, but it's not a cereal bar. It's not No, like it's one. a store. But in the back, there's, like, yeah, there's, like, a little hangout section. Anyways, they're cool. So it's just, like, it was fun to see a show that my friend created that I think is really good. And then my friend on it. And I just, I don't know. It's like made me happy. It's like, Oh, I like it's when you have creative comrades and they're all yeah connecting. So exciting. the jeans episode of social fabric. Correct. On Netflix. Correct. I haven't watched cool. that show. I should check it out. That I liked good. it. Yeah. 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 I watched a lot of queer eye. Oh my God. I love that. Which show. has yeah, some fashion so good. in it. Did you know, so you know Tan on Queer Eye? Mm-hmm. He like, he's the Indian guy and he like tells every guy to put, do the, the French, French tuck. tuck. Yeah. And now You've there's like an explosion it. of yeah. French What's tuck. What's French tuck? It's like when you have a button down shirt and you just like tuck the front, oh, the really? front of it into your pants, but not the back. Oh no. Oh man. You haven't so watched season everyone? two. Like it's like literally every single episode. He's like, I'm going to chew out a French tuck. But do you see like people in the world now doing yeah. French tuck? Yeah, yeah. Like Instagram type in French tuck on Instagram. It's like but everyone in the world. But now affected by it? Yeah. Like big time. I think it's so, it's the power of film, you guys. For real. So uh, yeah. Social good or fashion. They've removed uh, non-French tucks from I lineups. Need, I need to figure out, because Jonathan in season two talks about how you shouldn't wash your hair as much. You oh, should yeah, wash you're your not, It's like once a week. Oh, once a week. Once or twice a week. And my hair, like I started being like, oh, I'll just rinse it. It's no problem. That's great. And I feel disgusting all the time. No, it'll even out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I used to wash really? my hair every day now. How, how does my hair look right now? Looks great. I didn't know what you looked like before. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's in a it's in a bit of an eye. It's too long, so it's real <laughs> floppy. But yeah, I like I could, like got sh- dry shampoo and stuff, and I just feel disgusting no, all the time. You don't need to do that. That's yeah, what the, he said. The oils will figure themselves. I out. googled it. And yeah, it was don't like, worry about it. Oh man. Well, I guess you're right. It depends on the body. Yeah, you I may mean, not need dry shampoo. I think I'm a grease ball, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> well, I don't know. Do we'll then see. Then, yeah. Jonathan, you're on blast. Is to ignore queer eye practice. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing a. A flowery um, shirt and uh, French tucking in, and uh, I washed my face for the first time. Um, okay, so my endorsement, boy, we've got three win- winners this time, guys. Uh, my endorsement is uh, the Onion. They've been doing more videos again recently. I feel like the Onion used to like have like the best like like uh, political like. Um, satire videos there for a while. They were like spending a ton of money and they were doing like this morning show and stuff. Anyway, they're back and there's a Mamma Mia review from their quote unquote film critic that is the best. And it's basically just about how Mamma Mia 2 is like a super fun romp that you can take on face value 
unless your soul is rotten and you can't enjoy love anymore. And that's basically the joke over and over again. It's fine. (laughs) I'll I'll say this. There's not enough Meryl Streep. That's a problem with every movie. Yeah, that's true. It's fun. Yeah. Unless you're, I love a you know, fun movie. Unless There's you're like a husk 20. of a person. I'm making this hardcore, you know, rape prison movie, but then I want to make like a musical. Sure, like may have like Pierce Brosnan dance yeah. with Colin Firth on a yeah, boat. Definitely. I think that's fun. like a totally normal. Like I think you, I've always want to make like the opposite. The opposite yeah. of what you made before. Yeah. How can we find out what's going on with the feature and the short? I mean, you have a website, Jessica Sanders. JessicaSandersFilm.com. Oh, nice. And do you tweet? No. Instagram. No. Okay, so our listeners will just go to your website <laughs> to keep track of things I know, when your movie I'm comes out. I know, I'm not like That's okay. super social media girl. I mean, I have a tweet thing, no, I, but I don't really use it. <laughs> <Sure. yeah. laughs> Somehow I picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> I have a tweet device of some sort. <laughs> well, let us know when your movie is out and we'll let our listeners know because they can follow us uh, at Just Shoot It Pod on all social media. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enloe. And me at SmiteyPileg. You can email us questions, comments at JustShootItPod at gmail.com. Com. Leave us a review on iTunes, and that'll be awesome. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. The music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye.